Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Ever have that fear, I'm not good enough? You ever have that fear that, I, I know Pastor Matt even talked about it at the time, said, I'm going, my weaknesses are going to be found out. Like, I've been ca- carrying on this act, I've been going forward, but finally it's going to all fall apart and they're going to really see such and such. It's interesting, as we're digging into, and if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And in a moment, after I pray, we're going to dig in there. But as we begin... It's interesting, as we look here, we're going to see something, and one of the commentaries I was reading, it really ties into this, because how in the world can I in one breath almost struggle with pride and of myself, and then in the other, struggle with fear so deeply? How is that even possible? And before I get into here, I would share that I think he made a lot of sense. Where in, in the quote we will come to, but it's that idea where that the way we evaluate ourselves at, is the, with this level, and sometimes we are then puffed up by it. We evaluate ourselves with one level of scrutiny. But then for someone else, we use a different level of scrutiny. But here's where the problem then comes. I've evaluated myself this way, and I've valued them this way. Now I'm fearful that somehow I'm not going to measure up to that scrutiny that I used for someone else. And that's how we can then at the same time struggle with pride because I'm, pu- I'm puffed up in myself and what I can do and also have that nagging fear of what if I'm found out to not measure up to this. But let's begin with the word of prayer this morning. here, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to turn into your word. But God, we pray that you'd be at work here among us. God, we ask for your spirit to be poured out here. We ask that as we seek you, you would be found. As we seek to understand you and declare you worthy, we ask that we would see you and know you. God, I pray that as we look here at your word, it would touch our hearts and we would be changed because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we do begin then, I'm going to start here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to try and just go through all of the verses and try and just make some commentary along the way because what we really kind of need to do is we need to get a bunch of ideas out here and then we're going to try and draw a connection through them. That's what we're going to do here. But if you haven't been with us through 1 Corinthians, there are some important details you even need to know before we read this first verse. It's the idea that this church was a church that Paul wrote a letter to He wrote a letter to, because they struggled with divisions and strife. Some of those strife was about how they treated Paul and then this other man, Apollos, and how they they were making this comparison between the two of them. Oh, well, I'm of Apollos. Oh, no, I'm of Paul. Or some then saying, I'm of Christ. There was division. There was strife here. That was a major problem they were struggling with. But then also... He, is go- he had gone on and he talked already in chapter 3 about this idea that you are the temple of God. And anyone who would then raise their hand against that temple would be destroyed. And it's a tough idea to wrestle around. But just know that as we're starting to hear, there was already this idea in 
throw, uh, flow of thought for Paul where he has been saying he's writing to these a church that needs help. The interesting thing was they almost didn't even know that they needed that help. So keep that in mind as we start going here. Because this is what it says. It says, this is how you should regard us. And that, and that us, I don't believe it's limited to just Paul and Apollos, but, but believers. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And that idea of steward is the same word that we use for a household servant. And yet they would have a lot of authority over all the things that went on in that household, but they would then be responsible to govern it, to lead it, to direct it, but of the mysteries of God. So this is what you are to view other believers as. This, is, this would include pastors, leaders as well. But moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Other, other versions use the word faithful. That idea that it's not necessarily just results, other things, but the thing he keys in here is that they are faithful, trustworthy, stable, that they would continue on in it. You even start to get already this idea that he might have something more than what you immediately see there. That's beginning to already think. And we see that in the next couple of verses, because the very next thing he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And he's going to start to explain that, that thought a little more. But, he, but this would have been important because what were they were doing? They were judging him and making that comparison to Apollos. And they were making that comparison to, no, I'm not of Paul or Apollos. I'm of Christ. So he is hitting right where he had already beginning to sort of address and confront them with that. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. He's saying, even as I evaluate myself, I'm not aware of something that would be held against me. I'm not even aware of something that someone else would hold against me. That doesn't mean I'm acquitted, because remember, he was just saying, it's not a human court, and it's not even my opinion. It was how is it that the Lord would view it? And he comes in in verse 5, he says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one of you will receive his commendation from God. The idea here is like not the short-sighted judgment, which they were falling into, we also can fall into. Because even if we're trying to give the most honest evaluation, we may not have all the facts. Even as we're trying to give an honest evaluation of ourselves, there are times in which we don't have all the facts. And that's what he's starting to, trying to shift their, their focus, their idea of how you even look at that is what he's trying to do here. And then in verse 6 he says this, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Because remember, he was already making that comparison earlier on between the two of them and trying to show them that it is not a matter of whether I follow after this or I follow after that, but all things are ours in Christ, was his thought there. He says, and he says, Paulus, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another, 
or who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And that being receive as a gift. If then you received it, why do you boast? As if you did not receive it. And yet then, that comes back to the question we sort of started with. How often we can struggle with the idea of a different self-opinion, self and maybe not even the same scrutiny that we give to someone else. But he's saying, none of us should be starting there, because every one of us, because remember, he was talking to believers here. He was talking to a church, and he's used that term, us, us, talking to believers, those who are already following after Christ, and he is saying to you, we are all the same, and we have our basis in salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is a gift. But also then in verse 8, he says, already you have all you want. Already you become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share in the rule with you. Notice the sarcasm here. Um, it's actually, it's not... You have to interpret a little bit in the Greek because you don't have the punctuation in the Greek manuscript. But then when we translate here, there is some sarcasm here. And we know that because the very next verse. Let's read on because you can see where he makes this false comparison um, uh, as though they are this. But he says, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles as the last of all. Lower. Like men sentenced to death. Lowest evaluation you can have. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. And we are fools, for Christ's sake. But you're wise in Christ. You also notice, and, and you know that it's sarcasm, because remember too, back in chapter 3, at the beginning of chapter 3, where he was saying, you are not even ready to be fed meat, you are being fed milk. So I, I'm not going out on a limb by saying that when he was in verse 8, and now again in verse 10, there seems to be a contrast. These, there is sarcasm here. It's, and he's saying, but you are, sorry, we are weak, but you are as strong. It's a literary device. He says, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat, we have become and still, are, sorry, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Notice that this possibility, there is an, if I'm saying that this is sarcasm, there is another possibility of what he is saying. The possibility being that they think that they have peace because they have removed themselves from the fight. They think that they are wise because they have removed themselves from the struggle. And the reason I go further into this, I won't explain further, but you look at the bigger context, and the reason I think I'm safe in saying that is that before this, he says that you are not even strong enough to take uh, meat. You have to be taking milk. Following right after this, he's going to give further correction where that there were some very blatant sin that was allowed to exist in this church when we get into chapter 5. So for that reason, I really do believe that there's got to be some other understanding similar to the fact of this is their self-impression, but it is not correct. They think that they are as kings and reigning, 
but they are not. They think that they are wise, but that does not match up with reality. But isn't that, wouldn't that be scary? Didn't we just talk about that? One of the biggest fears over here is the idea that I'll be found out to not match up with what I am seeking to be. And then we had doubt that we found out. Isn't that what Paul's calling out here? I love this next verse, though. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Just also remember, as much as there have been some very hard things that Paul has said, will say to these believers, he started out writing this letter that I am thankful for you. I have love for you. I have care for you. And he goes on here and will then in the next verse that we won't get into also express to them, you as my children and I as your father, father in the gospel, and that he had led many of them to Christ. This is his point. It's not to tear them down. It's not to bring shame, but that they might gain some understanding and learning. And perhaps then, if what they need to do is get back into the fight, the struggle for Christ. But at this point, I am going to pause, and I'm going to actually add in a different thought here. I, again, I said, you know, I, I've got this struggle where that I, as I dug into this chapter, there was so much here, but yet we are going to draw a connection for us. But I'm going to introduce one more idea. And it's actually coming, it's going to come out of 2 Chronicles and then tie back into chapter 3. Because remember I mentioned that idea that Paul had already said in chapter 3 of that you are the temple of God. There's a sense in which that can be that each individual believer is that and the more that I've read, and Pastor Matt, I think, would agree as, some of the, as we discussed again on Wednesday, it also has a picture that we are part of something bigger. And it's not even just this local church, but in the sense that we are part of the temple or the church of all believers, those who are facing persecution that Ashley mentioned, those who are in other churches in this community this day, other people in other countries like Canada. I love Canada. I'm from Canada, if you didn't know. My parents are still in Canada. That's why I mentioned that. But like, we are part of something much bigger. And I also want to draw our attention there for us to learn from this. And with that in mind, then, let's look. In, in 1 Chronicles chapter 7, this is when Solomon had just finished the temple. And this was a physical building. And there... He, he's you know, dedicated to God, and it says this, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering. Just stop for <laughs> Wait, what, what did we just read? This is miraculous. The fire actually came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled that temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the pe people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed down their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And I am amazed by that thought. And one of the books that I was reading, I actually, so far, 
love it. And Sam's reading it too. I'm getting him to read it. But Letters to the Church, Church by Francis Chan, he was drawing out this point. And I thought, man, I would almost give anything to be there and see that. And to just be, just, just be part of the crowd to worship as you see and understand and know that this is a visual representation of what my God is able and willing to do. And then he, but he also, at the same time, had this comment, but, but when I do that, I begin to lose a perception and understanding of what I already have in Christ. Because then he's coming here to Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, and this is speaking of believers. Even so, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you, are, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are actually part of that. It's interesting to note, we, you saw that picture then of the fire coming down on the temple in the days of Solomon. Another time when you have a, this similar picture of that is at the day of Pentecost. And that was when the Spirit actually came down on these first believers. And you have it talking there of the fire descending. And in that case, the gift of tongues coming. And it's interesting to see that parallel. Then between that of the Old Testament temple and then what we have now as the Spirit actually indwelling believers and in which we are a part of. I share this to hopefully get you excited, to remind you of some of this awe and wonder. Because I think this idea then ties its way through Corinthians, where we're at. Because in 1 Corinthians 3, this is what it had said. Do you, do you not know that you and our God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, this was the problem. Why was Paul so upset? Why was it so necessary to confront these believers? The more I thought about this passage, and the more I see, I think this is why. When they had that strife and they allowed this difference between Paul, Apollos, allowed these other sins that he's then going to address in chapter 5 into their midst, this is what they were doing. And I think that's why he was so upset. That's why he had such harsh words for them. And when he uses that sarcasm with them, I think this is why. It's interesting then, um, as I mentioned this is a quote from Francis. And it's quite a long quote, but bear with me. It says, We live in a culture today where we are used to evaluating and giving our opinion on everything. Whether it's the pizza we ate, our Uber driver, the movie we saw, or our friend's picture, or social media, everything is set up for us to be able to critique and compare. Notice a parallel. They were set 
as everything to critique and compare there. The, the comparison they were actually making with Paul and Apollos was kind of expected as to an audience had the authority to make that judgment. We're kind of set up for that same fall in a sense in our culture, in our society. Every one of the social media posts has a comment box underneath. Carrying on though. So in the church, rather than marveling at the incredible mystery that we are part of God's body, we critique the leadership, the music, the programs, and anything else we can think of. We point out the flaw in the pastor's sermon. With the same conviction, we critique a movie star's acting or our favorite team's recent loss. Could it be that we are taking a sledgehammer to the temple in so doing? I thought that was powerful when I started to hear that comparison he was making. And then when you start thinking in so many ways, like there's that, such a strong parallel between what was almost just expected of them and almost in a way what we get set up for as the expectation for us. But let's carry on, because there was another book here I was also reading from Stephen Umi, similar thought, and this was, he's saying this, we are prone to evaluating ourselves and paradoxically holding intention. Remember I said that before, that overinflated evaluation of ourselves and a gnawing suspicion that we don't measure up in the eyes of others. Evaluation is brutally cyclical, meaning it just goes over and over again. We have an overinflated self-evaluation, but we fear that the evaluation of others will uncover our swollen self-evaluation. Remember that fear that I said can really grab hold of us. In self-defense, we evaluate or over-analyze others. But the scrutiny to which we subject others is sometimes not that we ourselves can bear. Like, that's a possibility. We need to be mindful of that. We need to be mindful of that as a possibility as I'm making a comparison and judgment of myself, I could potentially be falling into that same trap that these Corinthian believers were. Remember I just said, like, they were only doing what was expected of them in their society. <laughs> in times, it, it almost feels like that's just the, what's expected of us, but we should guard ourselves against that. I, I feel like that is something there we can guard ourselves against. And how do we do that? I think it's by not losing sight of that awe and wonder of what we have been given. That's what it is. We're going to go back through these verses just one more time quickly as we try and draw that back together and show you that. But that, that central idea, why did I mention the temple and the fire coming down? Get that picture of awe in your mind as we start to go back through 1 Corinthians 4. Remember then that we, we have not missed out on any of that. As believers, we have that within us. We have been given the Spirit. But let's then look at 1 Corinthians 4 in that light. It says this is how one, one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment 
before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of heart? Then each one of us will receive his condemnation, or sorry, commendation from God. Be cautious to give premature judgments that are short-sighted with limited praise. Kind of the reverse of that, though, is give patient assessment instead of premature evaluation. And if you are taking notes, don't worry. When we keep coming back, it'll keep coming up on this slide. You will have the opportunity to see them there. But going on then in verse 6, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Recognize personal limits instead of assuming a know-it-all posture. That starts removing any of that pressure to even be there with that other person. And we're going to keep going, but again, this will come back up. Already, you have all you want. Already, you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that you might share the rule, sorry, you might share the rule with you. Or sorry, we might, rather. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to the angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. Again, I said, I, I, I strongly feel that that's sarcasm there based on the whole context coming back and forth and, and right after this. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly distressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Recognize the upside-down nature of the gospel. Recognize that in so many ways, we're, we're called to become last. The end result later is that we become first. And that's where he, he will, in the very following verses, follow like I am. Let me be your example. And what is his example? Allowing, yes, regardless so I'm treated this way, that I will bless. Re regardless that how I'm this way, still to entreat others. Regardless of this, still speak love. That is the picture we see in the gospel. That is what then we are to reflect. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, though. That's not easy. <laughs> when, you're, when you're hurt, the first thing you want to do is respond. <laughs> In like kind. That's our temptation. But then, then, what is the solution? But I see some people still writing, so I'll just pause here another minute longer. 
Because as much as this is not easy, there is a solution. And that's why I tried to draw in that idea coming from the temple. If all of our sight is stuck right here in front of us, then our judgment seems completely right. I seem completely justified in my response. I seem as though my words, they may be harsh, but they're righteous. They're in right stand. But yet, if we're able to step back and realize that even our evaluation of ourselves may not be quite there, the real question then is, how am I responding and lining up to God's word, God's truth, and knowing that he would be our judgment? Because honestly, there is a part in which that is wonderful. There's almost a part that's a little bit fearful. But know then that that judgment would be based on our relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't, you know, take us away from seeking to put all this into place. But let's go on just to that very last verse here. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. And realize part of the solution is to worship God with wonder. Because I feel like that's what started to be inspired with that idea of the temple and the fire coming down. Then I re realized that idea that he had already just talked about in chapter 3 of coming on, that we have a part in something that is so much bigger than ourselves. But also notice, take back contentment in your God. If our self-evaluation is just in the here and now and right in front of it, it is easy to not be content. It is easy to be tempted to, be, to say, this is not fair. It is, that, that is an easy temptation. And I, can, I would wonder that every one of us don't struggle with that at some point when things do not go the way you had hoped, planned, or expected. However, the solution is continuing to draw our attention here and that we can allow our contentment to be in our God and knowing that we have a part in something so much bigger than ourselves. And also, allow him to be judge. Relinquish that. Just, just let it off. Like, I am not responsible for that. There's many other responsibilities that as a Christian, in many ways, we as laid on our shoulders to serve, to love, to lift up. We're not, in so many ways, we're not really called to judge our brothers in that way. We're called to love one another as Christ loved the church. We're called to uh, lift up one another. With that, though, I am going to close our time this morning. Because there is more in a way that is there in chapter 4. But let's take that idea. And even in a similar way to the song that we had sung before, I am no longer a child of fear. So I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. And in that same relationship there, allow us to take strength from that, comfort from that, and motivation as we are potentially tempted to fall down the same path that these Corinthians believers walked in. 